0: Future Pulse, Patients First, Investigating Innovative Cardiovascular Research with a Patient-Oriented Clinical Outcome Focus. I'm Dr. Thomas Nero, Clinical and Interventional Cardiologist and Director of Cardiovascular Research at CAFC. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Dr. Cabrina Bartley, and today I am with Dr. Sharon Hayes. We'll be discussing SCAD, also known as Spontaneous Coronary Artery Dissection. Dr. Sharon Hayes is a professor and a cardiologist, and she's done a myriad of research on SCAD. Dr. Hayes, can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself?
1: Yeah, so um, I am a professor of cardiovascular medicine at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, where my main practice areas are heart disease in women, um, and particularly SCAD, as well as pericardial diseases and community cardiology.
0: How did you initially get involved with women's health and heart disease? Yeah,
1: that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I think going way back, when I first came into practice as a cardiologist, I realized that when I was sitting with my women patients compared to my men patients, that there was more uncertainty about how the testing or the medication that I would give them would react. There was less evidence overall, and I realized that there was really a gap in evidence because women had not been included in any of the research that had gone. because there was this belief that women didn't get heart disease. So I got interested in the subject because it applied directly to my patients, and that has kind of been a theme through my career is I've been driven by... Patient questions, particularly the women that I would see, and also trying to answer those questions with research.
0: So, what prompted your research specifically on SCAD?
1: Well, I had been involved in some patient advocacy and patient education for many years, and had was running a course for women with heart disease. And some participants of that course back in 2009 asked, "What is Mayo Clinic doing to research SCAD?" And I kind of puffed up and I said, "Well, you know." I probably know more than the average person about SCAD, but like even Mayo Clinic, we couldn't study it because it's so rare. And they let me know that within their own online community that there were 70 women with SCAD. And I started thinking about how we might be able to leverage that type of geographically dispersed, but connected individuals to see if we could better understand a condition. And so it was both the methods of that, but also it was very aligned with the heart disease and women work i have been doing for quite some time, and the fact that it came out of patient
0: advocacy to start with. Is there a particular part of women's health or heart disease overall that you think is underdiagnosed? Well, I would say there's
1: several aspects. I mean, I will start with the fact that women in general, even when they present with the exact same symptoms, say of heart attack or heart failure, are often not taken as seriously or it's not initially thought by the EMT or the ER doctor or the cardiologist that this might be heart disease. And so there's a gap there that they may not even get to a cardiologist. We've gotten much better on diagnosing heart attacks in women. That is far less likely compared to 10, 15 years ago. I think where the challenge is, is evaluation of chest pain and breathlessness or dyspnea on exertion in women which yes, it could be due to deconditioning or menopause or aging, which is often what women are told. But they might also have coronary artery disease or microvascular disease or heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, which disproportionately occur in women, first of all. And second of all, are a bit more difficult to diagnose. And I might add that part of the reason that they are more difficult to diagnose is because We have not done sufficient research on these conditions that affect primarily women. We keep learning often because we try to treat men. I mean, we treat women the same as we treat men, and we realize that didn't work out very well. In some cases, it works out great, but women may not benefit as much or may have more side effects. Theoretically, they might benefit more from certain therapies, and that's why it's so important to do sex and gender-specific research so we can find that out.
0: Are there different variants or subtypes of SCAD? Not really. Um, from an angiographic diagnosis standpoint,
1: I guess you could say. So the way we diagnose SCAD is with an angiogram, a coronary angiogram. Rarely, we can pick it up on a CT coronary angiogram. And so, when we're looking, we we were taught let's look for a flap, an intimal flap, a separation of the lining of the artery. And we now know that probably the majority of patients do not have a flap. They actually have like a bruise or an intramural hematoma. There are some patients that are more at risk for a more serious type of SCAD where they're more likely to have the proximal coronary arteries like the left main or both the LAD and circumflex involved. That's more common in patients if they have SCAD after giving birth. But the main thing is it really is kind of the same physiology, whether you have an intramural hematoma or a flap. It's just one is probably more advanced in the time frame.
0: Do you think, because SCAD is so complex in terms of the pathophysiology, do you think that's one of the reasons why physicians have such hard time diagnosing SCAD or understanding it overall?
1: Yeah, that's a, such a great question because I think there's multiple reasons. I think, going back to talking about it's a problem that's predominantly in women over 90% women. So if we would argue that sometimes things that affect women put it less of a research priority or funding priority or an investigation. So I think we've got a bit of a legacy of that. So we're playing catch up with understanding SCAD. Part of it is sometimes the angiographic findings. So say the woman gets through the emergency department and through the cardiologist and gets to the angiogram sometimes the finding is really subtle. It actually takes an extra few, maybe takes an extra few times at looking at that angiogram or some intravascular imaging. So I do think it often can be mistaken for other things. And I do think that's also getting better as people are more confident about it. But we believed that you had to have a flap and that this was so rare that it couldn't be studied until about a decade ago. And so there's been a lot of progress, and I think there'll be continue to be progress. But that's part of why this is so challenging.
0: Based on your experience with SCAD, what are contributing factors, do you think, that increase patient risk for SCAD?
1: Well, that's still a work in progress. But what we do know is that being female, okay, because 90-plus percent of individuals um, are women, The period after giving birth and late in pregnancy and the first couple of months after giving birth is a higher risk period, but obviously hundreds of millions of women have babies without having a heart attack, so so it's still a relatively small proportion. The majority of patients who have SCAD, if we go looking, they have abnormalities in other blood vessels and other arteries, and the most common is a condition called fibromuscular dysplasia, or FMD. So we start looking for those things and connections because that probably is a risk factor. There may be some genetic variants that are of interest. There isn't a single SCAD gene, but we know that there are some mutations on certain genes like factor one that may render an individual more likely to have a SCAD or FMD, And that's an exciting part of the research right now.
0: That's very interesting. Do you view a SCAD as a separate entity, or do you look at it as a continuation of coronary artery disease?
1: Well, by definition, it's a disease of the coronary artery, but it is not atherosclerosis. I think that's really important. These are two separate pathophysiologies. It's not the gradual buildup of plaque and intimal disruption due to stress of hypertension, hyperlipidemia, et cetera. This is often a very normal-looking endothelium pristine artery that just splits in half. And so I think that although they both of those entities result in a heart attack due to absent or reduced blood flow to the heart muscle, they are completely different. And I think that's really important as we care for these individuals that we don't take garden variety guidelines for treatment of atherosclerosis like statins for somebody who does not have hyperlipidemia, for instance.
0: Kind of piggybacking off of that, I've noticed that patients typically present similarly to, to when they have a heart attack. Why do you think that is? Can you elaborate on that a little bit further?
1: I often will describe this as it's a typical symptoms for heart attack in an atypical patient. So if we think about this flap or this intramural hematoma, it blocks blood flow and oxygen to a part of the heart muscle. And so regardless of how we do that, whether it's blowing up a, a, an intracoronary balloon or a plaque rupture or a dissection, the pain, the breathlessness, the sweatiness, that's all gonna be kind of the same. That is a sign that the heart's not getting enough blood. Why it sometimes is misdiagnosed and doesn't get to the cardiologist, again, it's because it's a patient who does not look like what we think of as having a heart attack.
0: Given the current guidelines, Regarding SCAD, they discourage statin as therapy. What do you recommend for medical therapy in per patient?
1: I think I would frame this as it's less about discouraging statins, but the reason we give statins to somebody who has an atherosclerotic heart attack is because it stabilizes plaque and prevents a future heart attack, right? And if you think about the mechanism of action of that, of that drug and the hundreds of thousands of people who have been in trials, that makes sense. When we think about SCAD, you take a normal artery, it splits, and just like a cut on your arm might heal and often does, there's nothing, it's hard to physiologically think that a statin and lowering cholesterol further would make it less likely to split, because we're not dealing with something that statin does. And that's just an example with a statin. So I think thinking how we treat individuals Well, what might be at play that it makes it more likely to have a SCAD? Maybe having high blood pressure, untreated high blood pressure, maybe having fibromuscular dysplasia. So then thinking about the kinds of treatments that might lessen the risk. So in general, we would recommend a beta blocker after a heart attack. So most heart attacks, we recommend that. But there is some suggestion that perhaps a beta blocker by decreasing shear stress, blood pressure... Um, the force of pressure on the arteries may reduce the risk of SCAD. And there's a randomized trial going on in Europe that may help answer that question more definitively. Then beyond that, it's important to use treatments that are not SCAD specific, but maybe symptom or condition specific. So if they have chest pain, thinking about using nitrates or calcium channel blockers. If they have heart failure, then appropriate guideline-directed heart failure medication. If they have a stent, you want them on dual antiplatelet therapy. So in terms of managing SCAD, I think the main thing is taking a step back once you've made that diagnosis and saying, what's indicated for this individual person uh, and what are we treating, right? If I have a SCAD patient who happens to have an LDL cholesterol of 180, I'm probably going to put that person on a statin because I also want to prevent future atherosclerosis
0: so it's best pretty much to just focus on that individual patient when treating scad as opposed to a general approach how do you think understanding scad help us understand women's health more specifically women's cardiovascular issues or diseases oh, that's a great question
1: whenever you take sort of a deep dive and really try to understand a condition there are often perhaps unexpected learnings or associations. And for instance, the association of SCAD and fibromuscular dysplasia. That has led to a whole new excitement about understanding vascular conditions, arteriopathies in women, because now we know it could be associated with SCAD and now we've got a greater group of patients that we can study. I think whenever you have a new condition, SCAD is not new, but it's newly studied. It generates some excitement about the field in general, and so we may have more individuals who are are studying heart disease in women in general. The fact that interventionalists now are really looking for SCAD when they do that angiogram in a younger person, that's going to help all women because SCAD may be less common actually than atherosclerosis, but they're going to pick up those women with atherosclerosis as well. So it also raises awareness that women can get heart disease and do get heart disease. They are not immune.
0: Thank you, Dr. Ace, for your time today. You're such an inspiration to medicine, even more specifically women's health, and to future physician, myself included. I really admire your work, and I hope you continue to help move women's health forward. I do want to know, though, what do you recommend? Providers do moving forward to improve women's health and thereby helping them manage SCAD? Yeah.
1: So I love that question. So, first, believe women. Really, when they come into your office and they say they're having a symptom, don't tell them it's you're getting older or you're overweight or you're out of shape or, you know, they may be getting older, out of shape, and be menopausal, but that can't explain everything. So that would be one thing is as we listen to women is what they say may not be familiar to us because we haven't maybe listened to a lot of women. So that would be one thing uh, that will improve the care of women is for us to listen and to also, whether it's in cardiology or nephrology or surgery is to be looking at sex and gender in outcomes and in the way we report our research and to make sure that the things that maybe we've thought we've always done and they've always worked in men also work for women and benefit them. Because, you know, there have been several things that we have found that maybe they worked for large populations or worked for men. One example is medications that lengthen QT interval. So there were some over-the-counter medications, um, non-sedating antihistamines, They came out, and they had only been tested in men before they went to market. And then once they were introduced, women started having sudden cardiac death taking it because they already had longer QTs on average than men, and this increased it. So if we don't include women in research, if we don't think about the effects of the treatments and the diagnostic tests that we do,
0: through a gender
1: and sex lens, we will continue to cause disservice for women.
0: Thank you, Dr. Hayes. I really appreciate all the work you've done for women, and I hope that we can make even more progress pertaining to women's health. Thank you for your time today.